Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, once you turn with me, if you would, to the passage uh, from which uh, Al read this morning, and that is in 2 Peter, as we are making a journey through this wonderful letter from the Apostle Peter to the Christians of that age and to the Christians of every age. And so I encourage you to join uh, this journey, coming and attending during the week, encourage you Maybe just uh, along with your regular Bible reading to spend some extra time in 2 Peter. And I think you will find that he will give some real choice uh, golden nuggets for your heart from mining in 2 Peter. To help you with that inside your bulletin, you'll see a little guide that we're preparing every week. It's about reading, examining, applying, and praying uh, what you receive from Second Peter, a reap guide, we call it. And so I encourage you to take that and use that uh, yourself or with some others, maybe for your family devotions. And if you'd like, on Wednesday nights, we're having a, a class in the downstairs fellowship hall called Going Deeper. We're just taking some time to go deeper into the truths of Second Peter, uh, deeper than we can cover in a, a time like this, and it's interactive and really a wonderful time. We started last uh, Wednesday night, had about 50 or more people there, so I'd love to have you come and join us. That's at 645 in the downstairs fellowship hall. Well, Second Peter chapter 1, and you'll find it on page 1018 if you're using the Bible provided for you. I want you to know it happened to me again a few weeks ago, and I hated it. I always hate it. And it's happened to most of you as well. And I know when it's happened to you, you hate it too. You're standing there at the checkout counter. And you have all these items. And you take out your card uh, to use to buy the items. And the person behind the counter looks at you and says, I'm sorry, your card has been refused. Don't you hate that? You know you hate it. And they sort of have that look in their eye. And then, try that again, I said. Try it again. I I'm sorry, it's, it's been declined again. Well, this time now, people in the line are looking at you. And the manager, manager kind of comes hovering around. And I said, well, try, try it one more time. Try it the third time. Sir, I'm sorry, it's been declined again. And I'm telling you, by this time, security's coming, you know. They, they've got a dog with them and everything. <laughs> and you, you start digging for your wallet to find another car. Well, try this one. And uh, that one works. And you just feel so terrible. And you want, what in the world is going on here? This happened as a brand new card. And, and yes, there was, praise God, enough money in the account to cover that. But what was the problem? I found out I had a new card, but I had not activated that card. <laughs> All the resources are there. But if the card's not activated, you're not getting to those resources. Now, thank God as Christians... Because of Christ, in our spiritual account, we never have to worry about insufficient funds, do we? No, never. Because Christ 
is enough. Christ is enough. And we're going to talk about that this morning from 2 Peter 1. But we're going to find that yes, Christ is enough for every possible situation we face in life. But those resources that he grants to us must be activated by faith and by our personal involvement. But Christ is enough. Now last week we looked at this passage as we began to think about the theme of 2 Peter, growing in grace and truth. That is the theme. It's, in the, it's the bookends, if you would, to the book. Because the first verses talk about growing in this grace and truth. And then the very last verse of the letter says, keep on growing in grace and truth. That's the theme of this book. And you'll notice as we think about last week what we saw, and just review just for a moment, that because of this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a, a very, very secure position in Christ. Think about what Peter said about our position in Christ. If you would, verse one, he said, Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now remember, that's an amazing statement. Here's the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter saying to you and to me as lowly followers of Jesus that we have obtained a faith of equal standing with him. We have obtained a faith of the same standing, meaning the same value. We have the same kind of faith. That faith, which is the faith of all Christians, you remember, has the same origin. That faith was given to us by the grace of God. You remember verse 1, you notice that says, you have obtained, you've obtained a faith of equal standing. Does not say you earned a faith of equal standing. But by God's gift in Christ, you have obtained a faith granted to you by the love of God has the same origin. Friends, all of us here today, all who will hear this message in any form, if you have faith, that faith has the same origin. It comes to you by the grace of God. The same origin of our faith, our faith has the same object. Verse number one says, it's a faith of equal standing by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith does not come to us as a faith in ourselves, but a faith that is on someone outside of ourselves. It is a faith in Jesus Christ, who is the perfect righteous one. He is the one who has obtained salvation for us. He has finished the work. He has accomplished all that God gave him to do. He has made a perfect sacrifice. And when by faith we lay hold of Christ, we are pardoned from all of our sins. All faith has the same origin, has the same object, 
And I want you to notice verse two, we ended here last week, it has the same outcome. The same outcome. May the grace and peace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. This is living grace. This is not just the grace of salvation, the moment of your conversion, but it is the sustaining grace for every situation in life. We have an endless reservoir and resource of the grace of God by which we can live. It's living grace, and because of that grace, we have a living peace. No matter what comes, we can have a contentment, not in our circumstances, but we can have a contentment in who we have in Jesus Christ, in his provision. It's a living grace and a living peace. But now what I want you to notice this morning, and this is where Peter takes us through the whole letter. 16 times Peter is going to say that all we have comes out of a knowledge of Jesus Christ. This living grace and living peace comes out of a living relationship. Did you notice verse two? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Now this word knowledge here is a very important word. It is not a word that just means knowledge in your mind. It doesn't mean just knowing facts. This is a word that means literally knowing into or knowing upon. It means a personal, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. All this grace, all this peace, all the resources come to us from a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Friends, you know the very definition of salvation is to know God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said that himself when he was praying just a few hours before his arrest. Jesus was praying to his father and he prayed about eternal life for his disciples. And this is what Jesus said, John 17, verse, verse three. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life. What is eternal life? It's knowledge. This is eternal life, said our Savior, that they may know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is the very definition of eternal life. The knowledge of God through the knowledge of his Son, the Lord Jesus. Now, this knowledge of Christ is the source of our position. We've obtained this salvation. We've obtained this faith. We've obtained this grace. It's been given to us. And now we have received this peace. And that is the source. The knowledge of Jesus is the source of 
our position in Christ. But now what I want you to see this morning is the knowledge of Christ is also the source of our possessions. Our possessions. There are some things that are yours if you are a believer. And it's in knowing that they are yours that you can draw upon them to experience life the way the Lord wants you to. So notice here, our possessions in Christ. Verses three and four, he talks about these possessions. He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Now did you notice that? Two times he says, he has granted you. Did you notice that? Two times. He has granted two gifts for us to experience. Now what are those two gifts? Let me give them to you and then we'll open them up a little bit. He has granted to us the gift of divine power and he has granted to us the gift or gifts of divine promises. What is it that he gives to us? Divine power and divine promises. Now let's look first of all. He says he's granted to us divine power. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now notice, God's power here is in a person. He has granted us his power for all things from whom? From a knowledge of Christ. Do you see that in verse 3? It is through the knowledge of him, it's through the knowledge of Jesus that the power of God is granted to us. It ex it's experienced in a person. Friend, if you want to tap into divine power, you must tap in through the Lord Jesus Christ because in him is the power of the living God. And that God's power is experienced in a personal call. Did you notice this? Verse 3. It's the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This power comes to us through Christ who has called us, listen carefully, to himself. I ask you, brothers and sisters, what is a Christian? Who is a Christian? A Christian is a person who has been called by Jesus to follow him. A Christian is a disciple. 
A Christian is a follower of Jesus. Just as Jesus came to those fishermen. Who, who was one of those fishermen? Our author, Peter, Simon, his brother Andrew, not far from them, co-workers, maybe their cousins, James and John. And Jesus came up to Peter and Andrew, James and John, and what did he say? Come, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, what was the call? The call was not, first of all, go be fishers of men. That's the power that's going to be granted to them. That's the, that's the work they're going to do. But where is that going to originate? By coming to Jesus. The call was to come and to be with him. And friends, what Jesus did for those disciples by the Sea of Galilee, he does for every single one of his disciples to this very day. He walks up to us by his Holy Spirit and he says, come, follow me. The Lord is walking in this room this morning and he is saying to some people, that's enough of that. It's enough of business as usual for you. I'm saying you to you today, you come. Follow me. That changes church just a bit, doesn't it? We, we, we come to church, but we don't expect to meet Jesus. But he meets us. Now notice, this is so important. God's divine resources, this power he's given us in Christ, these resources are sufficient. They're sufficient. Did you notice verse 3? His divine, his divine power has granted to us, what's the next two words? All things that pertain to life that have to do with life and godliness. When it comes to living your life for God, how much has been left out of that statement? His divine power through knowing him has given to us in Christ everything we need for our life to please him and for a godly manner of living among our fellow men. It's all been given to us. It is for every Christian, in every situation, in every Christian life. Christ is enough. Now friends, let me tell you something. From the very earliest days of our faith, that truth has been under relentless attack. That Jesus is not enough. What we have in Christ is a lot, but it's not enough. It has been under ageless attack. In the apostles' day, it was attacked by false teaching of legalism. You need Christ and the Jewish traditions. 
Christ isn't enough. Then among the Gentiles, it was Gnosticism. You need Christ, but you've got to get some more special knowledge. Oh, you've got a lot in Christ, but you need some more to have everything you need. It's Christ plus special knowledge. In the Middle Ages, what happened? A man raised up, was, came up in the mid, Middle East. His name was Muhammad. He said, Jesus was true. Isa was true. But his apostles, especially the apostle Paul, twisted his teaching. And now I've got to tell you what has been revealed to me in dreams from Allah. Christ is not enough. You follow the Middle Ages. It's Christ plus the dogma of the church in Rome. It's Christ plus the councils. It's Christ plus the teachings. It's Christ plus the system of religion that's heaped upon Jesus. You've got to have Jesus and that. And that lasted this very day. In modern times, what do we have? The teaching of the Jehovah's Witness. It's Christ. But you've got to have the teaching of Russell and his followers and the Watchtower Society. What do we have today? It's Christ plus the revelation that was given to Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and the Book of Mormon given by the angel Moroni. You've got to have the New Testament plus this. In our last century, teaching of Mary Christian Baker Eddy, founder of the Christian science movement, which is a complete oxymoron. It's not Christian, it's not science. But it's Christ, yes, Christ, but you've got to have more. You see, it's Jesus plus more. And now what do we have attacking us today, my friends? It is Jesus, but you've got to integrate secular humanism. You've got to integrate all the stuff that we've learned about man and man's abilities. You've got to integrate secular psychology. The Bible's a lot and Jesus is a lot, but there's been so much more from secular psychology. You've got to have that too if you want to have enough my friends, you know what the word psychology means? It means the study of the soul. And when you start talking about the soul, you're talking about God's business alone. Man can't figure out the soul. And today now, what do we have in our quote unquote evangelical circles? Yes, it's Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus of the Bible. But you've got to have mystical experiences. You've got to have mystical experiences with God where you get a revelation from him. Or you've got, there's a book that's been written. Now you can get words that are new words from God. There's more that's happening and you're missing out. My friend, listen. We serve a God who still works miracles. God works miracles and God is able and does on occasion visit people with signs and wonders and dreams. But I want to tell you, it 
is the same Jesus of this book. In him are all the treasures. In him, Christ is enough. The Bible says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, in Christ, you are complete in him. The Bible doesn't say, you know, you're well on your way in Jesus. No, the Bible says you are complete in him. The Bible says, look at verse three. Look at it again. He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him. My friends, Christ is enough. And in him are all the resources of the divine power. Now look at verse four. In Jesus are all the resources we need of divine promises. Divine promises. Look at verse four. By which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world doesn't that sound great escaping from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire very great promises. You know what these promises are? Did you notice here? They're empowered promises. The promises themselves have the power to change you. You see, friends, the promises of God are his word and his power is in the promise. And when you take hold of the promise and you apply the promises of God to your life, you don't have to work up the power to meet that promise. That promise is working in you with the power of God. It's the power in the promise. And that promise will lead you, if you will claim the promises of God, it leads you into a new reality. I want to ask you are, you, are you tired with the same old, same old? Well, you're led into a new reality by receiving the promises of God. These promises lead us to a new family. Did you see that? A new family by which he's granted us very great, precious promises so, so that through them you become partakers of the divine nature. Now, let's stop there for a moment. This is really, really sweetly crafty of the Apostle Peter. <laughs> because you know what paganism was all about in that day? How that a human being through ritual and through added knowledge could enter into the divine nature. How could a human being enter in and share the divine nature of the gods? That's what paganism was all about. 
And when you, when you experience that, you know what that was called? Enthusiasma. Enthusiasma. Theos, God, in you. You in the God. You have enthusiastic experience of knowledge. That's what the pagans were seeking. I want to connect with God. I want to connect with the powers of the heavens. And what does Peter say here? Through the promises that are in Jesus, you become a partaker of what? The divine nature. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says a miracle happens. What did Jesus call it? He says you are born again. That was not a term that Jesus invented. All the pagans, the pagans going into those temples to go into those various secret experiences were seeking an anagenesis, a new birth to experience the divine nature and to have a spiritual new birth. And this is what Peter is saying. When you believe in Christ and you take hold of the promise of life in him, you become a partaker of the divine nature. You share the very nature of God. Amen, folks. Amen. Now, friend, that's not a secret. That's an open door. I want to tell you something. Any group, any group that talks about secret knowledge is not New Testament. There are no secrets God is holding back. He wants you to know him through Jesus Christ. And he is made known to everybody. It's not a secret. Jesus said, I am the door by me. If anyone enters in, he will be saved. He said, I am the light. For every darkened soul that's seeking after God. He says, in me are hidden all the treasures of knowledge. And friend, that's to be shared with everybody. It's not a secret. It's a promise for everyone. Everyone. An open door to be a part of a new family. And also to find a new freedom. A new freedom. Look at what it says in verse number four. We become partakers of divine nature having escaped freedom. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Story is told of a squad of soldiers in World War I. Trench warfare. Whistle blew. Over the wire they went, out into no man's land. Terrible, terrible warfare. Fiery bullets as it was a nighttime raid, absolutely dark. And then some of those soldiers were bombed by canisters 
of gas. They began to cough and many of them went blind. Others had their mask on. They were able to see, but they were pinned down. Here they were, wounded, bloodied, blind, in the middle of no man's land, complete darkness. What to do when the fire, when the firestorm ended, when the shooting stopped? To light a match or a flashlight would have been instant death. Then do you know what happened? Back in the Allied trenches, some of the soldiers had gathered and they started singing. They were having a chapel service and they began to sing the promises of the Lord. And one of the soldiers out there said, men, be very quiet. I know some of you can't see. Just walk toward the music. Just walk toward the promises. And they were led out of that wasteland. They were led out of that killing zone. Even though many of them were blind, they were led out because they listened to the music of the word of God. Friends, listen. When we listen not to the sound of the world, but we listen to the promises of God, we are being led out of darkness. We're being led out of corruption to freedom in Jesus Christ. Christ is enough. And as Al said last Sunday night at the concert, and you were here, amen. Didn't you love it when he did that? Amen. Amen. Nobody can say amen like our case. Christ is enough for a lifelong provision and also he's enough for a lifelong motivation. You see, it's not that you get these resources and you say, now I've got it made. Uh, you, wow, I've experienced Jesus, I know Jesus, I've come to understand him, he's my Lord, my Savior, I have become a partaker of his divine nature, I've been born again, now I'll just wait for the trumpet. <laughs> no. What happens? You know what the Lord does when he gives you something? When he gives you the riches of Christ? He wants you to stay greedy. He, he wants you to be a person who's wanting more. I, I think about this sometimes when I, I, I used to hear that commercial. And don't you hate it? The best commercials on TV are beer commercials. Don't you hate that? <laughs> and that, that world's most unique man or the world's most interesting man. I do like his hair. <laughs> you know what he says? Stay very thirsty, my friends. Stay very thirsty. Well, I want to tell you, what he's drinking won't quench your thirst. You see, having tasted of the water of life in Christ, we are satisfied, but at the same time, we want more. 
And that's what the Lord is saying here. He wants us to keep adding to the treasury, out of the treasury of Jesus. He wants us to stay greedy to even experience more of him. Look at verse 5 through 7. For this very reason. What's that go back to? Because of his divine power and because of his divine promises. Because of God's power to you and because of God's promises to you. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And with virtue, knowledge. And with knowledge, self-control. And with self-control, steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Now notice here, seven qualities. Seven qualities. You can call them seven graces because they come from the Lord. They don't come from within. They come from the Lord and he says, make every effort, make every effort not to earn your righteousness. You don't do these things in order to get righteous. But because you are righteous in Christ and you have that new nature, make every effort to express this righteousness by living these graces that are in Jesus. Because that's what these are. These are just the this, these are the characteristics of Jesus. Do you, know what, you want to know what Jesus is like? He's like these seven qualities. They're his graces. And then notice he says, supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. And again, this is very interesting that Peter uses this word. You wouldn't expect this would be a word that a, a fisherman from the north of Galilee would use. But he was... A plain man, but he was an educated man because the word he uses here comes when it says to supplement with your faith. It comes from the classical Greek. The, the pronunciation of it is epikorigain, epikorigain. And it comes from korigos. We get our word chorus from it. Chorus. And it refers to the classical plays of Greece. You remember one of the greatest gifts that Greece gave to the culture of the world were the great classical plays by the great poet playwrights like Aeschylus or Sophocles or Euripides. But these plays required large choruses. These weren't one-man plays. These were huge presentations and it, rely, it required a large chorus and they had to be equipped with music and instruments and they had to be paid to train and the rich patrons of the city who would pay for this they were called the Korigoi the Korigoi and it meant to fully provide all the resources necessary for an important undertaking. That's what it came to mean. To fully provide for all the resources for an important undertaking. Now do you see what Peter is saying? He says now, for this reason, make every effort to provide your faith, to supplement your faith 
with all these resources to make it the beautiful presentation that God wants, the beautiful performance of your life. Now, it's important, these seven graces, they're not consecutive. They are concurrent. Do you know the difference between that? Consecutive means you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Concurrent means you do them at the same time. Let me give you an example of that. A couple years ago, I guess three years ago, I bought my wife Susan a charm bracelet. And I got the bracelet and then I added a few of the first beads and the, the spacers and a few of the charms. And then every so often since then, I buy her another one. And I've, especially if we go, we make a trip somewhere, I try to buy a charm that goes with that trip we've made. And she adds that. Now, that doesn't mean my wife says, I can't wear it yet, honey. No, 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 no. There's 574 more charms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you get a picture of my tiny wife with a big cart pulling. <laughs> and all of you ladies going, oh, what a beautiful, weird bracelet. Okay. No. What does it mean? It means while she's wearing it, while she's wearing it and enjoying these charms, others are being added as well. That's exactly what Peter is saying here. He's saying, keep adding these jewels to your life to adorn the gospel. Make every effort to show forth virtue. See these qualities? Virtue, that's moral excellence. It, it means courage on a purpose. Courage with a purpose. Knowledge here is an, a different kind of word for knowledge. It means to apply the truth practically. To apply the truth to your life in a practical way. And be adding self-control. I love this. You know what this word literally means? Literally means get a grip on yourself. Get a grip on it. That's exactly what it means. It was called the queen of all virtues, virtues by John Chrysostom, the early church father. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how many gifts and abilities if you have, if you don't have them under self-control, they will ruin you. Self-control, get a grip. Steadfastness means to bear up under pressure, especially you bear up because you have hope. It's the same word that was used of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured the cross. And add godliness. Now the word godliness here is a word that can't even be translated into English by one word. It's a very unique thinking thought. It means rightness with God and rightness with your fellow man. It means to live a life, you could say, that's reverent, respectful toward God, and respectful toward your fellow man. Friends, let me tell you something. If you're not respectful of others, you're not practicing your faith. 
Because the faith of the Lord wants us to be respectful to God and respectful to others. And then brotherly affection. What does that mean? The word there is Philadelphia. Ever heard of that? And it means a love. A love for those who you share with. A love for people that you have a relationship with. Brotherly love. And then he says... Make sure you add the greatest of all the virtues. What is that? Love. And that word is agape. And that means not love for people like you. It means love for people who don't like you. (laughs) People who don't like you. Just like God, when we did not like him and we did not love him, He first what? Loved us. Pursuing these qualities is so powerful that what do they do? Well, they make you have a productive life. A productive life. They supply our productivity in Christ. And this is where we must close. But don't close your Bible. And especially don't close your mind. Everybody says... I want to live a productive life. What is a productive life? Verse 8. For if these qualities, these seven graces, are yours and they are increasing, they keep you from being what? Ineffective. Or unfruitful in the night. Knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective. Unfruitful. To have these great qualities. And to express them is to live a life that delights in fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. You know what a fruitful life is? A fruitful life is a life that accomplishes its purpose. What's the purpose for your life, Christian? The Lord saved you so that he might conform you to the image of Christ. What's our purpose? To be conformed to the image of Christ. What is our greatest witness? To be more and more like Jesus. To be more and more like Jesus is the greatest witness you can have. And if these qualities are growing in us, we will not be ineffective. We won't be unfruitful. But we have to be careful that we don't fall into the danger of being forgetful. Verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind... Having forgotten, he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, isn't it interesting here? Peter mixes his metaphors. Now, he's allowed to do that because he's the apostle Peter, okay? (laughs) He says, short-sighted and a short memory. If these qualities of Christ are not increasing in us, it means... We're nearsighted to the big picture of life. We're short-sighted 
And it all comes from this. We have a short memory. We have forgotten that we were delivered from our former sins. You know what is one of the most powerful things that can happen in a person's life is just now and then to remember what it was like to be lost. How's your vision today? How's your memory? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you that Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And Lord, help us not to have a short memory and a short eyesight. Lord, help us to see that all the treasures of God are in Christ. And oh Lord, help us to see that according to your divine power, you've given us these great promises that we might partake of the divine nature and escape the pollution of this world. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that through you we can grow in these graces into deeper knowledge and more powerful witness of the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess what we sing. Christ is enough. And the people of God who knew that said, Amen.